What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the First and Foremost Podcast. I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. What's going on, y'all? What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, bro? I'm doing good, bro. How you doing? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good, man. We got some good topics on hand today. Uh, Hope everybody's been being safe out there, taking care of themselves. Uh, But we're not going to waste more time. We're going to get right to it. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, has still been taking place and is going as strong as ever. Um, and we still, you know, even over the past few days and weeks have still had, uh, you know, some really disheartening events take place, Jimmy. Uh, so, you know, before we get to sports, you want to touch on that a little bit? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I do want to say that I'm glad that people have continued to protest. People have continued to sign petitions, have continued to donate money. But we've also had some more murders uh, over the last few days, over the last week or so. Uh, we've had, I think, I believe five uh, people have been hung, a couple in the California area, uh, one in Houston, Texas. So obviously that's alarming. And uh, one thing, I, you know, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, is a young black man. Uh, he was murdered on June 12th, actually. So what happened was he had been celebrating his daughter's birthday. For those of you who don't know, he was celebrating his daughter's eighth birthday. And uh, he had got drunk. And they found him. He fell asleep in Wendy's drive through And so they called the police, naturally, which I understand. And, you know, they talked to him. They tested him, realized he was drunk. So he asked him, uh, could he walk to his sister's house and leave his car at Wendy's? Because his sister's house was, like, down the street from the Wendy's. Uh, but they denied him that, that opportunity. So they tried to arrest him. And uh, he resisted arrest. Uh, they tussled. He got their taser. And I guess he tried to tase him or whatever. From what, the, from what I saw in the video, he ran away. And they shot him in the back three times. Uh, it's pretty common. I mean, they, they, he, I know he shouldn't have ran from the way. He shouldn't have ran away from him. He shouldn't have resisted. But that doesn't constitute him being murdered in cold, you know, murdered at all. Uh, he was drunk, which I understand. I mean, it happens. But he did ask to walk away. He wasn't trying to drive home. He asked could he walk home. They could have escorted him home at the very least. Uh, and I'm sure you remember Dylan Roof walking to the church after praying with them and killed, uh, I think, eight black people. And the police, you know, took him to Burger King before they took him to prison. So, you know, they could have easily, you know, escorted him home. Uh, so, you know, that, that bothered me, too, when I read this story. That made me angry. And also, you know, another story that came out is this young lady by the name of Toyin Salu uh, in Florida. She's 19 years old, and she was found dead after being reported missing since June 6th. She was found dead on June 13th. So she was an activist. She had been at all the protests in Florida, you know, and, you know, she had had some troubles within her family. And, you know, a black guy offered her a ride home and a place to sleep uh, because she was trying to escape some uh, unjust living conditions. And she actually tweeted uh, on June 6th, the day she went missing, she tweeted around 5. She said she tweeted at 530 in the morning. She said that she had been molested. Uh, at 530 by a man on Richmond and Park Avenue. And she also tweeted some more. She kept tweeting up until around 2 o'clock. And I think that was the last time she sent out a tweet. And they found her dead, you know, almost a week later. So that was that was upsetting. And, you know, it was found out to be a black man, which is uh, was part of what I touched on last week about, you know, black men not protecting black women. They feel they don't feel protected at all. And that definitely didn't help our case at all. Yeah, man. You know, I think you pretty much kind of touched, you know, on the big events that happened. Uh, and, you know, thing for me, too, uh, we we as a black community, 
uh, specifically black men need to recognize that also uh, black women lives matter too. You know, I mentioned when we talked about this last week, you know, how whether it's been the women's suffrage movement or, you know, the civil rights movement or any racial movements for black people, uh, the black woman has just kind of been pushed to the back seat of those movements. And, you know, they've really seen minimal benefits uh, from either movement. And I think what happens, their stories and their experiences are always discredited and pushed under the rug. I mean, look at the sexual assault uh, issues, you know, for an example, you know, just always the issue with, you know, whether they're false accusations uh, and whether those stories are true. I think I actually saw you, you mentioned, uh, was it a statistic where only two to 6% of those stories are only actually false? And, you know, that pretty much get brought, gets brought up in every, you know, sexual assault accusation. And I think something needs to be changed about that. Uh, but, you know, like we said, this movement is, you know, continuing to gain steam, which I really appreciate that about it. You know, typically when these situations happen, it dies down after, you know, about a week or two. But here we are. I think it's been probably close to a month since the George Floyd murder. And, you know, people are still fighting as hard as ever to see changes be made. And I think it's kind of just peeling back multiple uh, layers of the oppression we're facing, you know, and it's bringing awareness to the public, not only with law enforcement treatment, but also, you know, uh, the education disparity, uh, discrimination in the work field, mental health issues among the black community, the housing disparity and housing issues, uh, as well as, you know, issues in courtroom rulings. I made a post on my Instagram story today. I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, there was a judge in Florida. Mind you, this is the same judge for two different cases. So a white male, age 19, uh, he had one misdemeanor prior to committing an armed robbery. He got two years in the county jail. A black man, age 21, same crime, armed robbery with the same criminal history with one one prior misdemeanor. He got 26 years in prison. Like that, that in itself was just mind blowing to me. Like I, I couldn't even believe my eyes when I saw it, but you know, it just kind of shows that narrative that's continuing, you know, even from slave times of the black man being separated from his family or just, you know, black families being separated uh, in general and, you know, transitioning to our next topic. I think in order to reach legislation, as you can see with the judge in this situation, and you know, the White House and Capitol Hill, um, it's gonna take some black people with some influence and some power to really get their attention and bring about some changes. Uh, so to move to our next topic, Kyrie Irving voiced that he wants to sit out uh, once the NBA resumes because he feels that the NBA is trying to use it as a distraction from the Black Lives Matter movement. So, Jimmy, how do you feel about that? I think I think Kyrie is extremely wrong. <clears throat> and, you know, before – and this is before I found out what I'm about to tell you. So, you know, I was just searching up – you know, searching about the issue, trying to figure out what he said, actually. And I came across a post that, you know, that Matt Barnes made, former NBA player. 
and he said uh, Kyrie only wanted to resume the season, only not wanted to resume the season after he found out that he wouldn't be allowed to go to Orlando. So apparently his original stance was that he wanted to go to Orlando to support his teammates while they played. But since they told him he couldn't go because he's injured, now he's all of a sudden he apparently all now of a sudden he decides that he doesn't he doesn't want to play and he wants you know it's gonna take away from the social justice movement. My thing is, if NBA basketball is gonna subtract from the social justice from Black Lives Matter, then we weren't focused to begin with. Fair. Basketball, you know. We shouldn't be allowing basketball to distract us from what's really going on. If anything, the NBA will give those guys a bigger platform than they would have on their own social media. You know, you haven't played since March. The media is going to be all – they depending on how much media they allow, the, the media is going to be all over that, and guys are going to have plenty to say. You know, guys like LeBron James and Chris Paul, those guys are in the playoffs, so they're going to have plenty to say. Uh, Kyrie Irving is, I think, the vice president of the Players Association, so – they would have plenty to say. It's like it'll give them a big platform. I don't understand how does how does not playing help the movement? You know, I heard Stephen Jackson. He mentioned something about putting money in the owners' pockets. Uh, playing also puts money in the players' pockets. Uh, and last time I checked, the more money, the more generational wealth you can create, and they can also you can be distribute that into the community. So them by so by them not playing, they make less money. Less less money that could be going to their families, and it's less money that could be put into the community. So I don't agree with that at all. And if they don't play, other employees don't make money. Think about the people on the day to day operations part of the job. If they don't play, they don't have a job, so they're not making money. So you send back more black families uh, that would been included in that. And what we need is federal legislation. That's the problem. It's not just the process. what we need is federal legislation. And the players not playing is not going to help federal legislation. You know, do you do I do you, do I believe a governor will listen will listen to LeBron James? Yeah, maybe. But how likely is it really? You know, I was talking to my father the other day, and my thing is, uh, you know, if LeBron James attends a protest, do you really think racist cops care if LeBron James attends a protest? They don't. You know what I'm saying? Dave Chappelle made an interesting point on this comedy special. He said, "I don't know why we care about the voice of celebrity so much." On these type of matters, their voice is just essentially the same as ours. At the end of the day, most of those guys are still black. So if the cops want to shoot them, they're going to shoot them anyway. And the consequences probably would be the same. Probably wouldn't face no consequences. So I don't understand why we need we need players, you know, celebrities and athletes, you know, to help us speak out. We're speaking out on our own. Now, it would be nice for their input. You know, they could donate money, do what they have to do, sign petitions, do whatever. But not playing basketball is not going dis- to disrupt from the movement. I don't believe. I don't think that really made sense. And also, you know, we I just got a you know a notification that said Kyrie said the players could start their own league. Like, what 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 are you talking about, bro? So you went from not wanting you went from wanting to go to support your teammates to not wanting to play because it's taken away from the movement to starting your own league. So like, what what are you so what do you want, Kyrie? Like, what are you saying? I, I don't understand. You know where where his head is. He needs to get it together because it's, it's honestly irritating me. Uh, Stephen A. Smith has spoke about it. You know, even Kendrick Perkins spoke about it. Kyrie Irving also mentioned that. You know, he give it all away to fight social justice. So my thing is, don't talk about it. Be about it. If you want to give it all away to fight for social justice, then do that. And I I would applaud him for it. Maya Moore did it, and she's been successful. But so if you want to do that, go ahead and do that. But don't just talk about it. Be about it. Yeah, no, I think for the most part, I I pretty much agree with you. Uh, you know, I definitely disagree with the notion that the players shouldn't sit out and the the season should be canceled because I think the perfect time 
would be during the NBA season for those players to, you know, make a stand and get their message out. Because like you said, all eyes are going to be on the NBA after a five-month absence. Uh, I think it's once again one of those things. I think at the root of it, Kyrie has the right idea. I think he just ultimately, you know, took the wrong approach to it. Uh, you know, looking at what's taking place, uh, he started a players coalition, of course, along with Avery Bradley. Um, and it was released today. How Avery Bradley did an interview with Malika Andrews uh, that they actually do, you know, have a plan for some stuff that they actually like to see change uh, in the league. Uh, and that included uh, improved changes to the hiring of coaches and front office personnel of color. Uh, so that it more so reflects the composition of the players. Because I think there's, what, at least over 70%, 80% of black or African-Americans that play in the NBA. Because uh, currently there's only eight GMs and seven coaches, and you have 30 NBA teams. Uh, they're also pushing for the league to make more donations to organizations that benefit black communities. Uh, I'm all for that. They're also pushing for more owners to come out and take action. Uh, I know MJ donated, I believe, was it 10 million over 10 years? So it was 100 like million. 100 million yeah, over 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 10 million per year over 10 years. Uh, and then I think Mark Cuban, I can't remember exactly, but I think he also made a, a sizable contribution to the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And then also, I think. They're pushing for this because the league in itself as a as a whole hasn't really come out and put out a plan or, you know, taken any steps to help support the way the NFL has because the NFL is donating $250 million over 10 years uh, to organizations that are for the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, that benefit black communities. Excuse me, I got choked up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, like I said, I think it comes down to the players would like to just see the league take more actions. You know, you can protest anthems all day long. You can wear T-shirts all day long because, I mean, we've already seen that they've allowed players to do that. And, you know, changes haven't really happened. Uh, so it's going to really come down to those billionaire owners really, you know, making those political connections to the guys in legislation uh, for those changes to trickle down and, you know, be made. And until then, you know, nothing really will change. Uh, like you said, LeBron James can go out and protest. But, I mean, like you said, who's really going to take a black celebrity, uh, a black celebrity's opinion? So, I don't know, man. I think like I said, Kyrie had the right idea. It was just the wrong approach. Because I think he's even part of the NBA Players Association. Like, I think he has a pretty high position within them. If I think he might be vice president, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I feel like he should have discussed this with them first. And I feel like if he did, he probably only lashed out like this because he they probably disagree with it, which, as we can see, a lot of people do. Uh but like I said, I don't know, man. I just don't really I don't really get why he felt the need to come out and say that he just completely sit out. And my biggest problem with it is, you know, it was the lack of 
direction in what he was saying. If he wanted owners to step up and say something and push for better legislation, then say that. But just saying that we shouldn't play because it's going to take away from the movement, that's not enough. Like, it needs to be explained. I don't understand, you know, what not playing is going to help. That's my. That was my biggest problem. It's like just the lack of direction. And maybe, you know, there were more quotes out that, you know, I haven't seen. And if I am, then I, I'm just flat out wrong. But until I see those quotes, my, my, my position stands. I will keep the same position I have right now. Yeah, which, I mean, Kyrie said crazier stuff in the past, so I wasn't completely shocked that he came out with something like this. Uh, but, you know, while we're on the topic of the NBA returning next month, Jimmy, what player do you think will benefit more from winning a championship this year? You know, I thought long and hard about this, and you know, it was a it was a a list of guys that names I could have went through. You know, you obviously you have LeBron James, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, you know, Anthony Davis. But ultimately, I decided to go with LeBron James. Uh, I think that's kind of the I think that would be the obvious answer, and I kind of got I have a reason behind it. Uh, my reasoning, okay, so we all know LeBron's legacy has been cemented pretty much at this point. He's either going to go down as the greatest basketball player of all time or the second greatest. It's pretty much argu- – I mean, it's arguable at this point anyway. Uh, so, and his legacy is cemented. And another, another championship will only enhance his resume. But my thing is, you know, if he's going to win another championship, this is pretty much the time to do it because we all know – we know, father time strikes at any point, and it's, it's gotten everybody. You know, LeBron is still looking at is super athletic anyway. But, you know, you never know what Father Time. We've seen it strike players at different times. You know, Father Time struck Kobe uh, like real quick. You know, he went from averaging like 27, 28 a game to the next year. Uh, he got hit with, the, uh, I want to say, the Achilles injury at the end of the year. It hit him out of nowhere going into the playoffs. And then he came back next year, was playing a little bit, and then to a rotator cuff. So when, uh, when Father Time gets you, it's going to get you. So, you know, with LeBron James' age – and the, the amount of mileage he has, you know, and the, amount, and the amount of years he's played, you know, I think it's more important than ever to try to win a championship now uh, during this shortened season. Uh, you know, guys, you know, the way LeBron plays, it makes it easier for to build chemistry because he distributes the ball well and he gets everyone involved. So I think with guys like him, it makes, you know, it, chem, building chemistry within a team is easier. And I think, you know, with this layoff, is giving him a recharge. Uh, I don't know what chem, how chemistry is going to be affected, you know, with this going on. But he's going to be recharged, and we all know what, you know, a charged-up LeBron James can do. So I think he he benefits the most. I think he would benefit the most from a championship. Man, I think this is probably the one time in the argument that I would debate against LeBron. And the only reason I say this one isn't LeBron because I personally feel like he's already cemented himself as the GOAT, and the fourth ring will only, you know, separate him from MJ. Uh, but for this question, my answer was James Harden. You know, up to this point in his career, his biggest knock has always been his playoff success and, you know, disappearing in big games. During the Warriors run, James Harden had the Rockets, you know, equally as good. You know, they didn't have the 73 wins, of course. But there were seasons where, you know, the Rockets were the one seed in the West and not the Warriors. Uh, you know, they were one game away with Chris Paul. And now that the Warriors aren't their healthy selves anymore and Russ is an upgrade over CP3, I feel like what better time than now to, you know, get over that hump and win a chip. 
because in my opinion, he's currently the fourth best shooting guard all time behind MJ, Kobe, and D-Wade because we know he has all the regular season accolades. He has his MVP trophy, you know, scoring titles. He's been averaging 30-plus the last three, four years. Uh, but I think this year, more than anything, the Rockets realized that they don't have to go full throttle in the regular season, which is something I think hurt them in the past. And I think this return format for the NBA will benefit their small ball style because of their adaptability. And, you know, they'll be able to just run circles around people in AAU-style basketball. And I think, you know, going back to him disappearing in big playoff games, uh, you know, no knock on James Harden, but he honestly hasn't proven to be, you know, mentally tough in those playoff atmospheres. So I think more than anything, he'll benefit from the absence of a crowd and, you know, that relief of pressure. And, you know, not only from the crowd, but having a, a alpha in Russell Westbrook to also alleviate some of that pressure. So I feel like this year is the time for James Harden to go ahead and get that chip. You know, my thing with James, I, you made a, you made some excellent points. And my thing with James Harden is, you know, Kobe Bryant even mentioned it in an interview with Rachel Nichols and Tracy McGrady. His James Harden style of basketball isn't conducive to winning championships, and it never has been. Uh, if you think back to, you know, even – about 10 years ago, Kobe was averaging 35 a game, 32 a game, but he wasn't yielding any success. Uh, you know, by the time this, the playoffs roll around, you beat down because you went so hard during the regular season. And if you want to think back even further, uh, think about MJ. Uh, I want to say in 88, he averaged like 37 points a game. And that, that, yeah. didn't yield a champ I, that didn't yield a championship. So, you know, putting up those type of numbers, like I said, it's never yielded a championship. And, you know, before – the season stopped. He was putting up those kind of numbers again, but he also had a co-star, Russell, an excellent co-star at that, at Russell Westbrook. Uh, but I, I just, I still don't think, I still don't think he's going to win the championship in his career. Uh, I think it's unfortunate nah. with the way the, but with the way the West is constructed in the league, I don't, no, nah, I don't think he's going to win another champ. I don't think he's going to win the championship. I, I'm, he may get back to the finals. I'm not, I don't know, I don't know. He could, but I don't think he'll ever win a terrain. Uh, I don't think it's only due to his play style. If he played a little different, it'll be different. You know, the way he plays, he relies on the whistle and the three-point shot. And we all know in the playoffs, the refs tend to swallow the whistle and you don't get to the line as much. And that's where you actually have to, you know, get the tough buckets. Uh, he doesn't shoot the mid-range jump shot. That's important come playoff time. We saw that last year with Kawhi Leonard. That man dominated the, the two-point jump shot. And it took it took him pretty far. Uh, he shoots a lot of threes, uh, not, in, not at a real efficient clip. She said around 36%. I think he's taking like 12, 13 threes a game. Uh, that's entirely too many threes to not be shooting a high percentage on. And like I'm saying, and like I mentioned, I just mentioned, you know, the free throw thing. Uh, you know, so, you know, that's that's tough. That it's it's going to be hard to win a championship playing that way. And then the way the team is constructed, they really don't have any players over six foot eight, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, size matters at some point. You got to rebound. You got to defend the paint. When you're going against the Western Conference, you're going against the Lakers. They're going to destroy you in the paint. The Clippers can destroy you in the paint. You ain't got nobody to match up with them guys. The Nuggets, you have nobody to match up match up with Nikola, Yo Nikola Jokic. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just don't I don't believe they won a championship. And if you play Oklahoma City, I mean they have Steven Adams in the paint. So I mean, how do you how do you defend that? And they still got Chris Paul and Shea Gillis Alexander and, 
and uh, Danilo Gallinari. So, you know, I don't think they have enough on their roster to contend with those kind of teams. Also, with James Harden placed, I don't think it, it, it creates a championship team. Yeah, I agree with you, bro. Anytime you depending on six foot five PJ Tucker to battle down low with some of those guys you just mentioned that are anchors in the middle, in the middle, because I mean, multiple players have said Stephen Adams is like the strongest player in the NBA. I can't see see PJ PJ Tucker hanging with him because I think they even mentioned too before the break just how broken down his body was from all those minutes at center. So you can only imagine when it's intensified in the playoffs what he'll have to go through. Uh, but I 100% agree with you. Unfortunately, you know, I am a James Harden fan, but I just don't see him winning the championship in his career. But, you know, if he were to get one, I think he'd be the player in the NBA that would benefit the most. I definitely can't really – I can't disagree with that, man. For sure. So – Moving on to our last topic, uh, Dalvin Cook said he's holding out from the Minnesota Vikings because he's looking for a reasonable extension. So, Jimmy, do you think he deserves top-tier running back money? So, before I answer this question, whether it's just a yes or no, uh, I want to break. I want to bring up a fruit, you know, bring up a few points uh, that'll lead you to my answer. So, you know, last year, Dalvin Cook. Had 250 carries, 1,135 rush yards, 13 touchdowns, 53 catches, and 519 receiving yards in 14 games. Uh, so, you know, he was one of the best backs in the league last year all around, running and catching. Uh, he's quick. He's electric. He has the elite speed. He has all the physical tools. He's a perfect fit for Gary Kubiak's uh, system, which is, you know, the zone run. He's one of the best inside zone guys in the league. But my one knock with Dalvin Cook, is, you know, the lack of availability. He's only played 29 out of a possible 48 games. Uh, and if you take a look at the top-tier backs, you know, well, the top-paid guys, you know, McCaffrey, Zeke, Le'Veon Bell, you know, Derrick Henry, and, you know, those guys are all have all been pretty much healthy. Uh, Le'Veon Bell missed time early in his career with a torn MCL, but other than suspension, he really hasn't missed any games. The only time Zeke missed games was because of suspension. McCaffrey hasn't missed any games. Uh, Kent, Derrick Henry uh, may have, I can recall him, maybe missing one or two games in his career. And we know David Johnson's been hurt, but that's an anomaly. He signed, they gave him a bad, that was a bad contract for the Cardinals. But, you know, he's been hurt a lot. Uh, but I think, you know, and you have to take that into consideration if you're the Vikings' ownership and management. But I think, you know, with his important, if you can replace him, then, you know, do what you have to do. Then I wouldn't pay him if you feel like you you can replace him. Uh, but, you know, like I said, Gary Kubiak's zone run system is heavily relying upon, you know, a running back with his type of skills. So I think, I mean, you have to pay him. I don't think you pay him, you know, McCaffrey Zeke money, but I think you give him Le'Veon Bell money, which is about $13 million a year, uh, if he accepts that, you know. And I haven't seen, you know, the figure that he's expecting. Uh, but I think, you know, ideally, I think if they can get him for around $13 million a year, I think that'd be good. That'd be good for the Vikings. Uh, I don't know what, like I said, I don't know what Dalvin Cook is expecting. So, you know, if I'm the Vikings, uh, I would pay him, but not just top of the line, not top, top tier money. I'd pay him, you know, top five money at the position. Okay, I see your point. So, before I start, I'm going to touch on, you know, some of the highest running back salaries uh, for next season. 
So we know CMC just broke the bank and got sixteen million. Uh, Zeke got fifteen million. Le'Veon Bell got thirteen million. Uh, also David Johnson with that horrible contract got thirteen million. And Derrick Henry currently under the franchise tag um, is set to get ten million. But Dalvin Cook is only set to make one million dollars. I do agree with you. You know. His injury history and the fact that he's only had one productive season, uh, you know, looking at those, he doesn't really have an argument to be holding out. Uh, but this is where I do think he has leverage. Uh, for one, I easily think he's, you know, talent-wise when healthy, a top three running back in the NFL. I probably put him behind Christian McCaffrey and Zeke. Uh, but, you know, you touched on his explosiveness. Uh, you know, he's a home run hitter, and his speed is unmatched. Uh, and he also has elite vision. And, you know, Rick Spielman, uh, their GM, and Mike Zimmer, their head coach, they're both entering their final years of their contract. Uh, so I think the pressure is on them to have some success this year. Uh, and, you know, compounding that with the fact that they traded away Stephon Diggs, and they also lost, uh, you know, multiple defensive starters. Uh, and the fact that their defense is weaker, you know, you always hear the quote, your best defense is your offense. And an offense that is your best defense has the ability to melt the clock and, you know, run the ball. And if their offense is without Dalvin Cook, when they're already down, you know, their number one receiver from last year, you know, what does that look like? Um you know, you mentioned it's predicated on the zone run. And, you know, that sets up Kirk Cousins for play action, which is where he's his most effective. So what are you depending on? You know, Madison last year, uh, James Madison, I believe, the rookie running back last year, he did average, I think, maybe a few more yards per carry, per carry than Dalvin Cook. But late in the season when it mattered, from week 14 to the playoffs, even he wasn't available with the sprained ankle. So even he's shown you he has a, you know, tendency to get hurt. Uh, and Mike Boone, their other running back, in the crucial, you know, possible division winning game in week 16, he only managed 28 yards on 11 carries. So I think looking at the fact that he's basically the engine of this offense and irreplaceable, I think that's where he has his leverage in this contract battle. Uh, so, you know, focusing on the reasonable part, the fact that he's won a reasonable extension, I'd say a good offer for Dalvin, for Dalvin Cook would probably be around a three-year contract at about $10 million a year, you know, somewhere in that Derrick Henry range, given his lack of production as well as his injury history. And I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the losses on defense. They lost their top three corners. And they also lost, you know, Everson Griffin, who's been a, you know, a, a good pass rusher for them over the last four or five years. So, you know, the, you know, only one good pass rusher, you know, and, you know, lack of presence in the quarterback, in the cornerback room, lack of proven players. You know, the defense is going to take a step back, I believe. I mean, you still have Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr and Daniil Hunter. You know, they added Michael Pierce in the interior, and they still have, you know, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. But cornerback is going to be a big issue for them. I don't think Mike Hughes is ready 
to be number one corner, and I'm not I'm not sure who they drafted. I, it, it slipped my mind. Uh, but you know they're gonna have to outscore some teams, and without Dalvin Cook, you're not gonna outscore any teams with Alexander Madison at running back. Without having Dalvin Cook, you just not. And then like I said, you lost Stephon Diggs, and you replaced him with you. Re- I, uh, I'm having a brain fart. I'm sorry. You, uh, you replaced him from LSU. Yes. Yes, and then they also added Tajay Sharp. Uh, those guys are not Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is one of the t- one of the ten best receivers in the game. You know, I mean, they still have Kyle Rudolph, and they have Irv Smith Jr., who was a first round pick from a year ago. But I don't think that's enough. Those guys aren't as dynamic as none of those guys are as that dynamic as Stephon Diggs or Dalvin Cook put together. And so I think you know, with the defensive losses and you know the loss of Stephon Diggs, you know they're going to be heavily reliant on Dalvin Cook if he's there. And, you know, Adam Thielen, you know, he's a great receiver, but, you know, I don't think he can do it alone. You know, he's going to need some help opposite of him. And we'll, we'll see what Justin Jefferson is, you know. So, hopefully, you know, he could be a great player for him. But they're going to need Dalvin Cook. Uh, like me and you both mentioned, this system is dependent upon, you know, guys that can run the inside zone. And that's it, a staple of a Gary Kubiak offense. And without, you know, without Dalvin Cook, I don't think they'll be successful at all. I already don't have them making the playoffs. I think without him, they'd be even worse. Yeah, bro, I think we pretty much, you know, agree on this. You know, like you said, um, or, you know, they gave, what, Kirk Cousins an extension this offseason for $35 million per year. And I think anybody who's relying on Kirk Cousins – to lead a pass-heavy offense to get you to a Super Bowl, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think, you know, looking at, you know, a similar situation with the Titans, you know, they paid Ryan Tannehill and chose to franchise tag Derrick Henry. And, you know, they're in a similar offense with, you know, the zone scheme, even though theirs is more so outside zone, uh, and then setting up Tannehill and those guys with the play action. Uh, and, you know, like we said, that play action isn't successful without the running game. So I think Dalvin Cook realized what his value was to this team and realized that, you know, look, he's a running back and, you know, they don't have long in the NFL. They typically have a good three, four years of production. So he's trying to get paid early rather than late, you know, because God forbid he, you know, suffers another injury. So I definitely understand, you know, where he's coming from and why he feels the need uh, to get this contract extension. Um, but, you know, that's going to do it all for us today, folks. Uh, Jimmy, did you have anything else to add? Only thing I got to add is, you know, continue to fight for, for Black Lives Matter. Uh, continue to, you know, uh, be on the lookout for your local elections. Don't just vote for the president. Vote at the state level and the local level, too, because that's also important. Continue to sign petitions, continue to donate, and continue to fight. Uh, Black Lives Matter. No doubt, bro. I second that. Black Lives Matter. What's up? Did you have something else? Oh, no, that was it. That was it. All right. Well, yeah, we we thank all of our listeners. Uh, We appreciate the support. Continue to follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram. uh, Join our Facebook group. Uh, continue to like and subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, as well as following us on Spotify. Um, and, you know, that'll do it. So I'm Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington.
and we out. All right. Thank y'all.